Welcome, and thank you for joining us in today's teaching as we continue our study through the book of Revelation. Here is Pastor Greg. The book of Ezekiel, we're going to be in uh, chapter 39. Uh, We don't want to be Christians that are naive to what's going on around us. I, I was looking at just recently in light of this, this new agreement that the United States and these other five nations made with Iran, looking back to October 1st of 2013, uh, there was a meeting at the United Nations and Benjamin Netanyahu addressed the United Nations this is what he said, and I thought that I read his whole speech that he gave, and I thought it was really interesting. There's a few just excerpts that I'd like to, to share with you. He says, In our time, the biblical prophecies are being realized. As the prophet Amos said, they shall rebuild ruined cities and inhabit them, they shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. They shall till gardens and eat their fruit, and I will plant them upon their soil, never to be uprooted again. He says, ladies and gentlemen, the people of Israel have come home never to be uprooted again. That was Benjamin Netanyahu's address at the United Nations, never to be uprooted again. The prime minister went on to say, He says, the world must not be fooled by the new face of the Iranian regime. Speaking of the the newly appointed uh, President Riani, he says, ladies and gentlemen, I wish I could believe Riani, but I don't because the facts are stubborn things. And the facts are that Iran's savage record flatly contradicts Riani's soothing rhetoric. There's a lot of talk that has come since this new president has taken his place that, you know what, he's not into nuclear weapons. That'll never fit with our religion. It's not what we're looking for. I don't think that Benjamin Netanyahu believes him. He goes on to say, ladies and gentlemen, underground nuclear facilities, heavy water reactors, advanced centrifuges, ICBMs. See, it's not that it's hard to find evidence that Iran has a nuclear program, a nuclear weapons program. It's hard to find evidence that Iran doesn't have a nuclear weapons program. He goes on to say... Ladies and gentlemen, Israel will never submit to nuclear arms in the hands of a rogue regime that repeatedly promises to wipe us off the map. Against such a threat, Israel will have no choice but to defend itself. I want there to be no confusion on this point. Israel will not allow Iran to get nuclear weapons. If Israel is forced to stand alone, Israel will stand alone. Yet in standing alone, Israel will know that we will be defending many, many others. You read this whole address that Benjamin Netanyahu gave. It's incredible in the things that he says. 
I don't even know that the man is a born-again Christian. I don't believe that he is. But he has a great interest, his wife does, his children do, in the Bible. Holding regular Bible studies in his home. He believes in the word of God. He may not be born again, but the insights that this man gives a lot of times and his just straightforwardness about Israel, I think, is amazing. Pray for Benjamin Netanyahu and his family, that he would be born again, get saved. We're going to continue in our study of Ezekiel 38 and 39. We finished 38. We're going to be in 39 this morning. But in our first study, in the first six verses of 38, we looked at Israel's enemy. Uh, Israel's enemy that is going to come from the far north and all the other nations that are coming alongside of that nation to attack. In our second week, we looked at the intentions of Israel's enemy. What does Israel have that Russia and these other Islamic nations want. And we talked about that. They're going to actually have a premeditated invasion plan against Israel. I believe that uh, Satan himself will probably give him that plan. We finished in chapter 38 with Ezekiel giving us the vision of these enemies coming down upon Israel. And what that will look like. Actually, chapter 38 of Ezekiel actually gives us really the overview of the battle. But when we get to chapter 39 now, chapter 39 is going to give us a few more details of that battle. But I believe that the emphasis of chapter 39 is really going to be God's purposes for this battle. What's God's intention for allowing these nations to come down upon his people and his land. And by the way, I have often referred to this as the battle of Gog and Magog. It's important for us to realize that it's really not going to be a battle. We might better say that this is going to be an intervention by God on behalf of Israel and his people. In chapter 39, and I'm going to ask that you'll look, if you have a pen or pencil or something to mark your Bibles, I would mark these things down. I think they're important uh, statements that are being made here. I found three of them within chapter 39 that I think are important for us to see. They're repeated statements. And many times when you're reading the Word of God, you want to look for that. When, When something is said repeatedly, we need to sometimes sit up and take notice. Let me give you those. The first one is the statement, thus says the Lord God. Now, that's found nine times in chapter 39. Look at, uh, look at your Bibles in verse 1, chapter 39. Thus says the Lord God. You can underline that in your Bibles. Verse 5, it says, for I have spoken says the Lord God. Verse 8, Surely it is coming and it shall be done, says the Lord God. Verse 10, at the end, Thus says the Lord God. Verse 13, 
It says, the day that I am glorified, says the Lord God. Verse 17, and as for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God. Verse 20, you shall fill, be filled at my table with horses and riders, with mighty men and with all the men of war, says the Lord God. Verse 25, therefore, thus says the Lord God. And then in verse 29, the last verse, I will not hide my face from them anymore. For I shall have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, says the Lord God. When God says something, he means it. And it will come to pass exactly the way he has said it and what we're reading here. This chapter actually opens with those words and it ends with those words. Thus says the Lord God. It will come to pass. We also see the words, I will, in this chapter. We actually see it 11 times. And I'll just give you the verses and you can mark it down. Verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, verse 6, verse 7, twice. Verse 11, verse 21, verse 25, twice. And then also in verse 29. Now, you'll notice that he says, I will do this. I will accomplish this. God is going to do this. I will. This is coming from the hand of God. And then lastly, we see the statement, then the nations will know that I am the Lord. Four times. We see it in verse 6. It says, and I will send fire on Magog and on those who live in security in the coastlands. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. In verse 7, so I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel. And I will not let them profane my holy name anymore. Then the nations shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. In verse 22, So the house of Israel should know that I am the Lord their God from that day forward. And then we see in verse 28, the end of this chapter, then they shall know that I am the Lord their God. Do you get something from those three statements that I think are important about what's taking place here? This is God's will and God's doing. This is God not bringing evil upon these other nations, but God is orchestrating this. God is allowing this. God is allowing this for a purpose that the nations of this world will turn their eyes to God. That's the mercy of our Lord. That's how gracious and loving and patient our God is towards this rejecting world, this evil world. They, They would turn and that his people Israel would turn to him. Now let's read verse 27 and 28. It says, When I have brought them back from the peoples and gather them out of their enemy's land, and I am hallowed in them in the sight of many nations, then they shall know that I am the Lord their God who sent them 
into a captivity among the nations, but also brought them back to their land and left none of them captive any longer. Do you see, God has a plan for Israel. He hasn't forgetten, forgotten Israel. I shared with you to read Romans 9, 10, and 11. Israel past, Israel present, Israel future. It'll tell you in those three chapters of Romans, God's plan for Israel. God loves the nation of Israel and will be faithful to this nation and these people. The first Jewish war that took place in 70 AD when Titus came in and destroyed the temple, the city, killed over a million Jews. They were dispersed from their land. In 132 AD, the Jews then rebelled against the Roman emperor Hadrian. And again, Hadrian defeated the Jewish armies. The Jews, they lost their independence. And Jerusalem at that point was turned into a pagan city. And they were moved out of their land once again and forbidden really to live there. Dispersed from their land. I shared two weeks ago that Israel being brought back into their land was one of the essential prophecies that had to be fulfilled really before Ezekiel 38 and 39 could take place. We've seen that in our lifetime. 1948, Israel being declared once again a nation. Seven million Jews in the land today and growing. Coming from all over, still five million Jews here in the U.S. They're making their way back to their land for a fulfillment of prophecy. We read in chapter 37 about the dry bones and the life coming back into those bones. Israel being revived as a nation again. And we read that I will bring them back into their own land and I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. That's what God says. I'm going to do it. After 2,000 years or 1,800 plus years, I'm going to do it. I'm going to bring them back into the land. The last verse of chapter 37 finishes with these words. The nations also will know that I am the Lord. That's what it says. The nations will know that I'm the Lord. When I bring my people back into the land, they'll know. Today we start in chapter 39, verse 1. We start with the word and. Now this word and is a uh, conjunction word that shows that chapter 38 really leads into chapter 39. There are some people that say chapter 38 and 39 are two separate wars. They try to separate the two. I believe it's a continuation of chapter 38. Not a new topic, not a new thought, not a new war. But I believe it's going to be now God really giving us the purposes for this war. What's God's intentions in allowing this to take place? Look at verse 1. And you, son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, thus says the Lord God. Good one for you to underline right now. Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. Now this word behold, as this prophecy was given to Ezekiel, 
This word behold is a word that calls for the hearer. And the hearer here is Gog. It's calling for the hearer to listen carefully. Pay close attention what is about to be said. He says, behold, I am against you, O Gog. This word against means upon or against. In other words, God is opposed to Gog. This leader of this northern country, which we believe is probably Russia, that's going to come down. God says, I'm against you. I'm at enmity with you, Gog. Anyone that persecutes God's people, <laughs> you don't want to be, I don't, I, I don't want to be a country the United States of America that turns their back on Israel, though it looks like we're going in that direction. In verses 2 to 7 of chapter 39, we're told how God is going to intervene against Israel's enemies. Look at verse 2. And I will turn you around, Gog, and lead you on. Some translations read, or I will drive you on, Gog. And I will bring you up from the far north and bring you against the mountains of Israel. You know, when I read this, uh, the words in this verse here, just in verse 2, it sounds to me like God is the one that's directing all of this. It's God's doing. I will turn you. Do you see that? I will lead you on. I will bring you up. I will bring you against the mountains of Israel. The words lead you and drive you is like as if you were to take somebody's hand and kind of just drag them along and say, you're going this way. That's really what it's speaking of when it says, I will lead you or I will drive you. I will bring you down on the mountains of Israel. Now, if you're... If you have an old King James, your Bible would read this. I will turn thee back and leave but the sixth part of thee and will cause thee to come up from the north parts and bring thee upon the mountains of Israel. Which tells me that in this translation that five-sixths of these armies are going to be destroyed. Now... The only thing is there are people that uh, say they're not quite sure that that's a good translation for that particular verse, though I think the Old King James is a great translation. But in this particular verse, we know from verse 4 that it appears that all of Gog's forces are going to fall on the mountains of Israel. I don't know about that one-sixth remaining. We uh, have already read in chapter 38... Verse 4, that this all happens at God's appointed time. It's on that day when the commander, which is God, really commands God to come forth. As a commander would call his army forth, God will do that. Ezekiel 38, 4 says, I will turn you around, Gog, and I will put hooks in your jaws and lead you out with all of your army, horses, and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company of bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Then you will come from your place out of the far north, you and many people with you, all of them riding on horses, a great company and a mighty army. 
We can also see something else, I believe, in chapter 39 of Ezekiel here. We can see that this chapter, I believe, speaks of God's absolute sovereignty and control over the nations and the people in this world. God is in control. Don't ever think that as you see this world as messed up as it is and out of control as it seems, that God is out of control. God is sovereign. God is in control. And he is leading these prophetic events that we read. We know that God is able. We read of all of this in the Old Testament when you read of how God dealt with the Pharaoh in Egypt don't we? It's really the same thing that we're seeing here in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Remember when God went before the, or excuse me, when Moses went before the Pharaoh, he told, uh, God told Moses, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. In other words, it was God's doing. God was in this deliverance of his people then. But God chose to do something here. He, he says, I'm going to bring judgment against the Pharaoh and his people because they won't let my people go. Now, do you think that God, if he wants to deliver his people out of the hand of, a, of an Egyptian king, that he could literally annihilate him and everyone and just say, okay, you're free. Why does he go to the extent of 10 judgments upon the Pharaoh and and upon all of the people of Egypt to deliver his people. He took and he turned water into blood. Uh, and And I'm of the opinion that when these plagues and these judgments came down, they were literal. Some people try to get into the thing of saying, well, you know, a certain time of year, the waters look like blood because this was in the water, you know, and they get into all that. No, I believe that God turn those waters and streams and those water, anything water, into blood. But why? Uh, Exodus chapter 7, verse 3. You can turn there if you want to Genesis. God told Moses, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt, but Pharaoh will not heed you so that I may lay my hand on Egypt. Listen to this. So that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall what? Listen to what he says here. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Sounds like Ezekiel. They'll know that I am the Lord. When the frogs were released upon the Egyptians, it tells us, let it be according to your word that they may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. It's why God God is doing these things. There's no one like the Lord our God. When he allowed the lice to come, the magicians acknowledged that this judgment was from God and they said, this is the finger of God. When the flies came, God protected 
his people Israel from the swarms of the flies. And we're told that that day God's people will know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. They'll know it. The livestock that was killed, the Lord told Moses, all of the livestock of Egypt will die. But the livestock of the children of Israel, not one shall die. The boils that God allowed on the Egyptians and their livestock, it didn't come on the Hebrews. God protected his people Israel. The hail that came down on the Egyptians, it says, but he protected the land of Goshen, which is where his people were living, he protected the land of Goshen where the children of Israel were that were there. There there was no hail. He hailed, put hail down upon all the Egyptians in this one area where his people, no hail. The locusts that God allowed to come upon Pharaoh and all of his people. He says, For I have hardened his heart in the hearts of his servants that I may show these signs of mine before him, that, and that you may tell it in the hearing of your son and your son's sons the mighty things that I have done in Egypt, and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. Why, why is God doing Ezekiel 38 and 39? Why is he bringing these armies down? Why he wants this world, Jew and Gentile, to realize this is the hand of God and to turn their eyes to him. The darkness that God allowed to come upon uh, the land of Egypt, it tells us, but all of the children had light in their dwelling places. When he blacked out everything, he said the blackness was so thick you could feel it. But there was lights in the houses of God's children. And then lastly, the death of the firstborn. When God allowed that angel of death to come and to to kill all the firstborn, we read that God does make a difference between Egypt and Israel. God makes the difference. Now look back in your Bibles, chapter 39, verse 3. Then I will knock the bow out of your left hand, Gog, And I will cause the arrows to fall out of your right hand, Gog. Who's doing this? God is. God's intervening on Israel's behalf. Verse 4, you shall fall upon the mountains of Israel, you and all your troops and the people who are with you. I will, you can underline, underline these I wills, I will give you to birds of prey of every sort and to the beasts of the field, to be devoured. You know, what's interesting, I believe, from these verses here is that it appears that even before Israel's enemies are even able to shoot off a gun, even before they're able to attack the people of Israel, God's going to destroy Gog. He's, he, he's going to come out. It's like coming up to God and God just knocking it out of their hand. Full thing before it even starts, knocks it out of their hand on the mountains of Israel. Doesn't even give them a chance to attack. 
And then he gives their bodies over to the birds of the, uh, uh, and the prey and, uh, and the beasts of the field to feed on them. Ends it like that. It's probably going to be in a, in, in a quick time. It's probably going to be in a moment in a, it, as God unleashes this earthquake upon them. They begin to fight themselves. And they're slaughtered there on the mountains of Israel even before they can attack. Verse 5 says, You shall fall on the open field, for I have spoken, says the Lord God. To me, it sounds like when God is speaking here, as it's if it's, if it's a done deal. It's like this is already, it's already a done deal. You know, we're, as Christians, we're not left to wonder, are we? What's going to be the end of all this? Who's going to prevail? Is God going to prevail or is Satan really going to win this battle? Sometimes Christians, I think, they think it's, you know, here's God, here's the devil. They're kind of warring with each other. They got their own little, you know, team that is bad. No, it's not that way. We already know the end. He knocks the bow and the arrow out of their hand. Says it's done. We already know who the winner is going to be. You know, if you believe your Bible, and I hope you do, you believe the Word of God and you know what it says, then you know who the winner is. You already know. You don't have to be sitting here wondering, God, this stuff's scary to me. I wonder if the enemy's going to get an advantage over me. No. You're more than a conqueror. You're already victorious. You've already won. Really, in a sense, what's being said here is that God is going to be the one that's going to disarm Israel's enemy. It won't be Israel. Israel won't put all their weapons together and go launch a big attack against them and, and, and beat all these enemies out on the, on the mountains and out in the field. God's going to do it. Why? So they'll know that I'm the Lord. So they'll turn their eyes to me. Look at verse 6. I will send fire on Magog and on those who live in security in the coastlands. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. Underline it. I'll send fire. God has used fire numerous times. Uh, There's people, all of these verses get into the whole thing. You know, you could read all kinds of commentaries, all kinds of speculation of what the fire is where it's coming from. Some people say, well, maybe it's from the great earthquake that God brings upon them at the moment. And when the great earthquake comes, it takes some uh, volcanoes that have been dormant for a while and makes them start spewing fire all over. And some people say it's the, you know, it, it's the weaponry that's being used. And, you know, there's all kinds of speculation, the fire and the God raining fire and the brimstone. And what is all that? You know what I, where I go with all this? I just take it a little. I read about what took place in Egypt there, and I say, you know what? God can do and will do, I believe, a lot of the same thing. Will there be armory involved in any of the battles? I believe there will be as we go through the book of Revelation. But I believe in this particular instance, God here is going to send fire upon Magog. How is he going to do it? I don't know. But he's going to do it. And I believe it could be supernatural. I believe these are supernatural interventions. Why will God intervene and save Israel? So that they will know that I am the Lord. That's why he'll do it. Uh, We're going to read that every man's sword is going to turn against each other in this battle. 
Not with Israel, but with each other. Confusion of mind. God did it before. He's going to bring pestilence and bloodshed in the midst of that army. And lastly, he's going to rain flooding rain, great hailstones and fire and brimstone upon them. Now, what's interesting is that when we're... Next week, we're going to be starting Revelation chapter 7. Revelation 7 is an is a in-between the seventh seal being opened. The chapter 7 is the 144,000 Jews, the evangelists that are going to be going throughout the world. Now, we know that the, that the sixth uh, seal that was broken, there was a great earthquake like this world has never seen that is going to hit this world. And it's going to shake the very core of mankind. And I believe that many people are going to turn their eyes to the Lord. I believe that Ezekiel 38 and 39, if the way I am interpreting it, I believe it's going to probably be sometime either at the beginning of the tribulation or sometime leading up to the middle. Sometime in the first half of the tribulation period. We have this earthquake that is going to come against the armies of Gog and Magog and these armies coming down. For the purpose of all these things that that the nations will turn their eyes to God, we have the 144,000 that are going to come forth around the middle of the tribulation period, going out with the gospel to this world. I believe that there are going to be thousands, if not millions of people that are going to turn their eyes to God during this time. They're going to see the hand of God at work, even in these judgments. It's what God is doing during the tribulation period. God disarms this enemy by removing their weapons from their hands. Then they all fall in death on the mountains through various means that God is doing that. Then this fire comes down upon them, but not just upon them, but even upon their homelands. It says along the coastlines and and those that are in the coastline. God, I believe, is going to not only destroy this army, but I believe he's even going to devastate through this fire that comes down their homeland. I, I think we can't even really grasp what this is going to look like and what this day is going to be like. How can you get the attention of a Christ-rejecting world? Look at the world now. All the the things that are in the world, how people, there's so lack of hope in this world today, and people won't turn to to the God of hope. What does it take from the hand of God to turn a man's eyes to him? I believe it's going to be significant. I want to remind you, as I've reminded you before, that this 70th week of Daniel needs to always be in the back of our mind. We need to remember that this 70th week is for a purpose, that God is fulfilling this 70th week for his people, Israel, for my people, Israel, and for my holy Jerusalem. That's God's intentions in dealing with the nation of Israel during that last seven-year period of time. He's going to finish the transgressions, make an end to sin, make reconciliation for iniquity, bring in everlasting righteousness to seal up visions and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. All of that is going to take place during this seven-year tribulation period. Look at verse 7 of back in Ezekiel. 
He goes on to say, so I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let them profane my holy name anymore. Then the nation shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. This word profane means to treat uh, something that's sacred, to, to treat it with abuse, to treat it with irreverence or contempt i will not i will make my holy name known in the midst of my people and they will not let and i will not let them profane my holy name anymore now when it's saying anymore that's speaking of a future event and i believe that that time has not yet come but it's coming they will not profane my name anymore then the nations shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. Verse 8, surely, or behold, or look, or see, it's coming, is what he means here. Surely it is coming, and it shall be done, says the Lord God. This is the day of which I have spoken. And we see that now Ezekiel is given really some of the details of the aftermath. What's it going to be like after this multitude of enemies are slaughtered there in the mountains of Israel, in the plains of Israel? Look at verse 9. Then, or soon afterwards, those who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out and set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and bucklers, the bows and arrows, the javelins and spears, and they will make fires with them for seven years. Now, again, we're in a, another verse. People uh, have been a little bit tripped up and wonder, you know, okay, what are we talking about here? It doesn't sound like our day and age of armory, using javelins and swords and things like that. Uh, it's... Some people have gone different ways. Some people say, well, you know what? We're talking really Ezekiel's getting a vision of what he knew. But really what's going to be happening here is modern warfare. Though there's not really going to be a war, but they're going to have modern warfare with him, which I could say that's a a real possibility. Uh, But I, 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 I don't get so hooked up on trying to figure out what all these things mean. But this is what I do see in this. It says that they're going to make fires with these weapons for seven years. Now, if you think about burning weapons, it's hard to burn steel and, and burn those kinds of things. But there's something about the burning of weapons uh, that I believe is significant in showing this world and showing those of what God has done, that God has done this judgment and brought complete judgment. We read in Isaiah 9, 5, uh, another verse that says, For every, every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and the garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel for fire. You know, I think that there's other, I think when the enemy went in and they devastated their enemy or when they went in and devastated their enemy, they would take their armament and they would burn it. They would burn everything. And that's just the picture that we're getting here that Ezekiel got. Verse 10 says, they will not take wood from the fields, 
nor cut down any from the force because they will make fires with the weapons and they will plunder those who plunder them and pillage those who pillage them, pillages, pillage them, says the Lord God. Now, again, it, it, there's this uh, even using it for fuel. That sounds real specific. I'm going, you know, they, I mean, they're actually burning these things and using it for fuel. I don't know the answer to that, exactly what that looks like, but I know that it's going to take place. And when it's saying specifically that they're going to build, uh, burn these weapons for seven years, uh, there's something to that in, what, in it being able to be used for fuel. We also know that if it's a seven-year period of time that these things are taking place, and we're trying to come to the timeline within that seven-year period, well, it seems like it makes real sense if this happens at the beginning of the tribulation period, because then you still have seven years to to burn the armament and all the battle gear. But it's real possible that even if this happens in the middle of the tribulation period, what's going to happen is that it's going to go into the millennium, that there's going to be the burning of this armament during the millennial time of Christ, at least into the first three years of that thousand-year reign of Christ. People speculate on both. Some people believe that the battle of Gog and Magog is at the end of the tribulation. It's the same battle as the battle of Armageddon at the end, and they believe that the seven years of burning are going to be seven years into the millennium. So you take your pick. You know, I just know that it's going to happen, and it's going to happen somewhere in this timeline of this seven-year period of time. It says in verse 11 that it will come to pass in that day that I will give Gog a burial place there in Israel. The valley of those who pass by east of the sea, and it will obstruct travelers, because there they will bury Gog and all of his multitude. Therefore, they will call it the valley of Haman Gog. Now, this Haman Gog actually just means, by definition, the multitude of Gog. They're going to actually take, and the location, it's possible that this, uh, there's a valley that runs near uh, the Sea of Galilee that some have identified as possible location or the valley where this burial is going to take place. But can you imagine that if it, 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 that it, it, it taken all of these bodies, what it would, that would take, the time? It says it's going to take seven months to bury the dead. We're, going to, we're talking about people have gotten in and tried to calculate. They put it up into the millions that have come down on Israel because they say, well, if one person takes and buries two bodies a day, how many people, you know, I mean, they get into all these calculations. It sounds like a lot of people. I see, I see just this big valley and him running off all of these bodies into this valley and burying them. Thousands, if not millions of, of soldiers that have come against Israel. But what's interesting is that they came to do what? To take possession, to take land, to take booty, to take possession and wealth from Israel. And they really ended up just having their own burial place. They got land, but it's where God is going to bury them. Interesting. For seven months, verse 12, the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. God gives this job to his people, Israel. They come out of the city and they begin to bury all of the dead for seven months. Verse 13, and indeed all the people of the land will be burying and they will gain renown 
for it on the day that I am glorified, says the Lord. They will set apart men regularly employed with the help of a search party to pass through the land and bury those bodies remaining on the ground in order to cleanse it. And the end of the seven, at the end of the seven months, they will make a search. So there's going to be a search party going out, looking at all the canyons and crevices and finding bodies. And these bodies at this point are probably most of them are going to be bones. And they're going to put up a marker there. It says that the search party will pass through the land. And when anyone sees a man's bone, he will set up a marker by it till the barriers have buried it in the valley of Haman Gog. And then it says that they name this city. The name of the city will also be Hamona. Thus, they shall cleanse the land. And so it, it appears that there's going to be people employed that are just going to go out to bury. These are professional barriers going out to bury the dead that's going to take seven months to do that. Why? That all of the world, all of the nations will turn their eyes to God and say, there is a God of Israel. There is a God that saved us. He is the one we've been looking for. So all of the house of Israel will know, I am the Lord. Look what he says in verse 17. We'll call this the great sacrificial meal, really, of this army. Verse 17 says, And as for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, Speak to every sort of bird and to every beast of the field. Assemble yourselves and come. Gather together from all sides to my sacrificial meal, which I am sacrificing for you a great sacrificial meal on the mountains of Israel that you may eat flesh and drink blood. You shall eat the flesh of the mighty men, drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams and lambs, of goats and bulls, all of them fatlings of Bashan. You shall eat fat till you are full and drink blood till you are drunk at my sacrificial meal, which I am sacrificing for you. You shall be filled at my table with horses and riders, with mighty men, with all the men of war, says the Lord God. God's going to do it. It's it's already a done deal. You know, usually when the priest would bring the animals, the animals that were there are offered by men to God. God. He would offer these animal sacrifices to God in sacrifice. And here now, it's the animals that are feasting upon man. It's a reversal. Goliath, he threatened David. He said this, he says, come to me. And I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And David replied, This day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. And then he says this, That all of the earth may know that there is a God in heaven. That's why. All of the earth will know that there's a God In Israel, that's why God is doing these things. How will God use this 
defeat of Israel's enemy to his glory. How's he going to do that? Look at verse 21. I will set my glory among the nations. All the nations shall see my judgment which I have executed and my hand which I have laid on them. Look what he says. My glory will be known among the nations. They will see my power displayed. They're also going to see my judgments, my righteous judgments. They're going to be seen by the nations of the world. They're going to see that my judgment, when I defeat the enemies of Israel, this world's going to see that. He also says, my hand. These nations will know that these judgments came by the hand of God. It's not going to be a question. Well, where'd that go? Who did that? How'd that do? This is the hand of God. God did this. By my hand, these nations will know that these judgments came by my hand. Just as the magicians there back in Egypt said, this must be the finger of God. That's what the people of the earth are going to be saying. All of these, I believe, are going to be a witness to Israel and to the Gentile nations of God's glory. They'll be a witness of his coming judgment and his hand that did these things. Look at verse 22. So the house of Israel shall know. Anybody want to guess what the word know there is in the Greek? Gnosko. The house of Israel shall know by experience that I am the Lord their God from that day forward. This may be one of the greatest revivals that Israel is ever going to see. There could be, we don't know the numbers of people that will turn. And I believe it won't just be from this battle because we know that there will be others that will come by other means. But God is going to use this battle, this intervention for his people to turn, I believe, his people's eyes towards him and even the Gentile nations. Why is God doing all of this? I think that it's for his glory, but it's because he's faithful. God says, I'm going to save a remnant of my people. Even in all their rebellion, even in all their unfaithfulness, even in all their rejection of me, I am going to save a remnant of my people. Why? Because I'm faithful. How many times have you been unfaithful to God and then God turns around and shows you his faithfulness anyway? He's still faithful to you and you are so unfaithful at times to him. Aren't you glad that we have a God that says that when we're unfaithful, he remains faithful? Verse 23 says that the Gentiles also. Do you see that? The Gentiles shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity because they were unfaithful to me. God's going to even show something to the Gentile nations. Therefore, I hid my face from them, and I gave them into the hand of their enemies, and they all fell by the sword. And then he says, according to their uncleanliness 
and according to their transgressions, I have dealt with them and hidden my face from them. God is going to be faithful. He's doing this for his sake, his glory, and for his people Israel. Verse 25 says, therefore, why? Because of what we just read. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, now I will bring back the captives of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel. And I will be jealous for my holy name after they have borne their shame and all of their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me when they dwelt safely in their land and no one made them afraid. When I have brought them back from the peoples and gathered them out of their enemies' land, and I am hallowed in them in the sight of many nations, then they will know, Gnosko, by experience, they will know that I am the Lord their God who sent them into the captivity among the nations, but also brought them back to their land and left none of them captive any longer. And then he finishes in verse 29, and I will not hide my face from them anymore. <laughs> That's future. I will not hide my face from them anymore, for I shall have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, says the Lord God. All you need to do is spend time looking at God's faithfulness towards Israel to encourage yourself that God is going to be remain faithful to you. No matter what you're going through in your life right now, no matter how difficult things are, trials, tribulations coming your way, no matter how many times you have failed God, God has proved himself. All you need to do is look at the nation of Israel. Look at how many times they turned and walked away and rebelled and worshipped idols. And God says, if you'll just turn to me, if you'll just come back to me, I'll heal you, I'll restore you. It's why we always have that open invitation ourselves. God, heal me, forgive me, restore me, revive me. I need that in my life. And maybe God's ministered that need for revival in you. God's there. God wants to, and God will. God bless you guys. We hope you have enjoyed today's study. For more information on teachings, events, worship times, and location, please visit our website, ccfwinstonsalem.com. From Pastor Greg and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship, thank you for listening and being part of our study through God's Word. 